0: You good? There we go. There it is. Thank you. Get it up for Mark nice wander. I've been wrestling with this thing for 30 minutes, so hopefully it's ready to go. Uh, it's good to be with you folks today and uh, share with you. Um, unfortunately, Steve just preached my sermon as he got us ready for prayer, but that's all right. Sorry, <laughs> the Lord must want us to go in that direction, so... Uh, let's pray, and uh, I'll get into the message for today. Lord, we are grateful for your presence, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, these wonderful means of grace that you've given us to, uh, to receive grace, Lord, into our lives, and so we, we pray now that as we um, look at uh, another one of these uh, disciplines, uh, that you would give us insight and wisdom And Lord, even if you're calling us into uh, this particular discipline, Lord, uh, give us obedience. Uh, We love you today. We pray your presence will be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I love uh, Steve's um, picture of the disciplines as arrows in a quiver. Uh, But today I want to give you another picture, and it came to me uh, last fall when I was down in Florida with my son. And uh, we were there together for about a week. And he shared with me that in the sailing community, there's a certain term they use. And the term is this. Take the winds that are given you. And, of course, the picture of that is uh, put up the sails. Put up the sails of the boat and take whatever wind is coming to you. And as I heard that, I thought, you know, that that's a great picture also, of the disciplines, of the means of grace, because the means of grace, whether it's praying or whether it's a worship, uh, whether it's reading the scripture or any of the means of grace, those are the cells, and we must make the effort. If I could put it this way, we must labor to put up the cells. In order to capture the grace that God has for us that day. Um, Now, when I say labor, or when I say we must put an effort into it, a lot of us think, well, doesn't the Bible say that we're saved by grace and not by works? And uh, and yes, it does. But what I I want you to hear, and by grace we mean we are saved by what God does for us, not what we do for God. But the scripture is not against laboring or putting in an effort. It's against working or putting in an effort in order to earn grace. But it's not against putting in an effort and in, in laboring to receive grace. As a means of receiving grace into our life daily. So uh, as we look at this, I want you to understand that you are saved by grace and not by works. And this comes through faith. And that's important. Grace comes through faith. So every time you enter into a discipline, you ought to say, Jesus, meet me in this. Lord, I need your grace in my life today. And I'm asking you to meet me. In this particular discipline, in this, as I as I put up this cell, fill the cell with the winds that are coming toward me of your grace, and let me receive that. So there are many cells and disciplines, as we mentioned, of whether it's prayer or worship or the Lord's supper, where God can meet us in that. But I want today, and we're going to talk about, as Steve mentioned, a cell that's uh, we rarely use, and maybe some of you have never used it. And that is uh, the discipline of fasting. Now, I know we're going to be eating pizza later on. I want to just want you to relax. Uh, the Jews had a saying, uh, it's just as much a sin. The feast on a fast day as to fast on a feast day. So this is a feast day. But, um, but we are going to talk about fasting. And, um, and I'll have to be honest. There was a time in my life where I had never fasted. And uh, and I knew very little about it. And uh, I was about in my mid 40s. And we were living in Wilmore where the revival just came to Asbury College. And while I was up there with the ministry, there was a fellow who came to Wilmore who was from Australia. He brought his family to go to Asbury Seminary and we became close friends. And Steve told me his testimony. He said when he was years previous to this, he had been a hippie in Australia and he lived in a hippie commune outside of Sydney. And uh, he said one day he was sitting on the porch of his trailer and he noticed this car come into the community. And this little old man who, and his wife was in the car, but the little old man jumps out of the car and says, well, praise the Lord. And so Steve's looking at him, and so he goes down and asks him, he can I help you? And he said, yeah. He said, we're looking for a young lady, and he kind of gave a description of her. And Steve said, yeah, I know who she is. And then Steve asked him, he said, do you work for the welfare department? And he said, oh, no. He said, my wife and I have been praying, and God gave us a picture of this young girl, and he told us where she lives, and we were to come and see her. And then the the man named Henry Gallus, Henry said to him, uh, why don't you come tonight? We're going to have a little gospel presentation and a barbecue. And so Steve said, "Okay, I will. And he got there that night. Steve said, when I got there that night, he said, I noticed it was raining to the north and to the south and to the east and west. But it wasn't raining there. And he said, I asked Henry, I said, what's going on? He said, well, I just asked the Lord to give us a nice evening so that we could... um, So we could have the barbecue and the gospel presentation. By the end of that day, Steve was kneeling on his kitchen floor in the trailer asking Jesus to come into his life. And Henry was kneeling next to him. Now, Steve began to tell me over time some of the ventures that Henry had throughout Australia through prayer and fasting. But then one day he said, you know, I have a series of tapes, cassette tapes. Of Henry teaching on fasting. So I got those. He loaned them to me. And I listened to them. And it amazed me. In those tapes. How many references there are. In the scripture to fasting. So that began. A period of time in my own life. Where uh, I began to fast. And, uh, and begin to learn. Really how to enter into that discipline. So what is fasting? Well. Uh, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding about fasting. You know, I've heard people say, uh, I'm going to fast from uh, watching football, or I'm going to fast from TV, or I'm going to fast from eating out, or fast from this and that and the other. But what you need to understand, that it's not fasting, that's abstinence. Uh, fasting is different, and particularly biblical fasting. Uh, biblical fasting, the, the Hebrew word for, for fasting is to cover your mouth. The Greek word is not to eat. Now, saying that, let me, let me also clarify, not all not eating, not all stopping to eat is biblical fasting. There's, you know, you can have a hunger strike. You can be fasting for a diet. You can be fasting for uh, your health. Some people have a dysfunction like anorexia. Uh, all of these things are not biblical fasting. So what is biblical fasting? It is not eating for a period of time. And this decision is between you and the Lord. And it is, uh, it is a fast unto the Lord. That's biblical fasting. You're fasting unto the Lord. Uh, when you fast... You uh, continue to drink uh, Excuse me for the period of time. And the reason for that is that there are many uh, toxins that are being released in your body. So you need to constantly be flushing that out, particularly if you're doing a long fast. And uh, in, in this commitment made between you and the Lord, uh, it is a time... The time is set, really, by you and the Lord, Are you in the community of faith in the Lord, uh, the days that you will fast. Uh, it could be just one meal. It could be one meal a week. It could be uh, a day. It could be a week. It could be 40 days, uh, a 40-day fast. In Wesley's time, he asked his people to fast fast. Uh, he asked him to fast uh, one day a week, and he asked his preachers to fast two days a week. That's how much how important he felt it was in terms of what God was doing. During this time that I was fasting, which was probably uh, really giving myself to it, was probably about five years. I did two forty-day fasts, and I don't say that uh, to try to for any prideful reason. I, what I want to communicate is. I think during that period I burned myself out on fasting. And it, and I had and I kind of pulled back on it for a time because of the intensity of fasting during that time. So what I'm saying is if you are entering in fast, pace yourself and and begin to and begin to grow in it and don't overdo it. And try to hear the Lord on on what he's asking you to do and not just give yourself to this particular discipline all the time. So, what are the benefits of fasting? Well, there are many, in uh, like healing and revelation and guidance and revival and even more than that. But I, I want to uh, speak to you about, um, I think, one of the most significant benefits of fasting. Now, let me say this. I found in my own fasting that these benefits don't necessarily come during the time you're fasting. They can come after you fast. And they can express themselves and manifest themselves in in ways you're not expecting. And I remember during this period where I was fasting uh, so much, God was doing a lot of things uh, in my life and through my life and and for my life. But they all didn't happen during the fast. It was just kind of in that season that I was fasting. So saying all that, the benefit I want us to, to look at... Uh, today, that I think is so important in fasting, and uh, Steve was touching upon that just uh, during the prayer, and that is communion and fellowship with Jesus, loving jesus so I want, I want to read a word to you uh, as a matter of fact, I think uh, Mike touched upon this scripture several weeks ago it 's john uh, fifteen four i 'm just going to read one verse uh, There Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the spirit cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, and yet unless you abide in me. So uh, in the question that Steve's daughter gave him, what did the disciples think about it when Jesus left them? I mean, wasn't physically present with them anymore. Well, this is Jesus right before his death. And he's explaining to the disciples the way he will relate to them after he physically leaves the earth and goes to heaven. And so Jesus says, this is the way I will relate to you. First of all, he says, I will abide in you. Um. Understand what this means. Christ abiding in you is Christ union with your life. This is what Paul means when he says, you are in Christ. You are in Christ, the hope of glory. You see, when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he not only forgave you of your sins, but as Steve mentioned, the Holy Spirit is came into your life and began to manifest into you the very presence of Jesus who is now in heaven. It is through the Spirit in us that we now can experience Christ in us. The Holy Spirit came and joined the presence of Jesus to us and in joining him to us. It is like joining a branch to an, an engrafted vine. That's what Jesus is saying here. So what you need to do with that understanding is, uh, is to live confidently that Christ is in you. Live confidently in that. Uh, Christ is in union with you, so settle into it. Rest in your new identity of Christ in you. You have a new identity. It's not you anymore. It's Christ in you now. So settle into that identity. as a posture of reliance. It's a posture of dependence. Be confident that Jesus now abides in you. And not only abides in you. But we as the body of Christ. He abides in us. He abides in the church. And, And that's why we. Relate to him and worship and 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 enter into his presence in these ways. But the other thing Jesus says, uh, there's another side. Jesus tells the disciples, "Abide in me." Christ in you is settled; it's done. But you you or you're growing uh, in Christ is a process in which you give yourself. In communion and fellowship and worship and love to Jesus. Christ in you is done. You in Christ is a constant process of fellowship with Him, in loving Him, in abiding in the one who abides in you. Uh, this is why Paul said, and listen to Paul's words, I want to know Christ. Here, Paul is an apostle. He knows Jesus. He's led people to Jesus. And Paul says in his letter, I want to know Christ. What is he saying? I want to know him better. I want to know this one who abides in me. And so I've got to give myself to him. John Calvin said this. And this is a good one. Let us labor more to feel Christ in us, abiding in us. Jonathan Edwards said, We should labor to continually be growing in divine love. In other words, this love that's in us, in Jesus, to grow in that love that is within us. Labor by setting the disciple cells. Capture the winds, capture the breezes, capture the gusts, capture the storm. Of Christ's presence. I think that's what's happened in Asbury. They captured. The mighty wind. Of Jesus presence. And they. And, and what I saw up there. They captured it in worship. It was a, a revival presence. Of Jesus coming upon them. And they were able to. To capture that. Because of the way. God was leading them. To worship him. Uh. So, that's the benefits of fasting. Now, Jesus implies this. He implies fasting as a way to abide in him. Again, this is found in Mark two eighteen through 22, which I think will be put on the screen. So, it's a long verse, but let's, I'll explain it as we, after we go through it. This is Mark two eighteen through 22. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, uh, so long as uh, they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And then he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse, and no one pours new wine into old wineskin, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So here's the situation. Some people notice that John's disciples are fasting, John the Baptist, but Jesus' disciples are not. So they come to Jesus and say, why is that? Why don't your disciples fast? I mean, this is an important thing in Israel. It was important to to the disciples of John. And uh, Jesus said his disciples don't need to fast. Now, the reason he said that is that during this particular time, particularly among the the Jews, fasting was basically for grief, for repentance and for tragedy and for sin. Uh, That that was the basic reason people would fast, uh, particularly repentance. And, And what Jesus is saying is this. Now is not the time of grief. This is the time of celebration. He said, the bridegroom is with them. This is not a funeral. This is a wedding. The people are being joined to God through the bridegroom. And he says, this is not a time of sadness. This is the time of celebration. Celebration. Go back to that saying of the Jews, you don't fast on a feast day, you don't feast on a fast day. He's saying this is a time of feasting. This is a celebration. It's a time of joy. But then he says, a time is coming when the bridegroom will be physically taken from them. them. Then his disciples will fast. But, Jesus says, it will be a new wineskin fasting. It won't be like the old wineskin of repentance and sin and sadness, but it won't be for sin or grief like the old wineskin. But the new wineskin fasting is for communion with the absent bridegroom. When When the bridegroom is not here, he said, then they will fast because they'll be in communion with me. A means of abiding in communion. And, and Jesus indicates this in this passage. And I, I, I got that understanding from Mike Bickle. And I think Mike is right on that. That the, that the bridegroom is no longer with us physically. He's with us by the Spirit. But in this time, we can have greater communion with him through fasting. First Peter 1, 8 through 8-9 says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Now, understand, let me set this up, Uh, Peter is talking to believers who did not see Jesus physically. These are believers who are trusting in Jesus, but they have not known him in his physical presence. And so this is for all of us. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Guy Bevington. G.C. Bevington. How many have read the book by G.C. Bevington called Modern Miracles and Prayer? It's it's an old book. You need to get hold of it. You can find it on the Internet. But uh, Guy Bevington was a man uh, in the early 1900s. He was a holiness preacher. And he had ministered in many different places. But he tells this story that one day he was ministering in a little Methodist church. And... uh, Uh, And because his message was so uncompromising, uh, the pastor kicked him out of the church and locked the doors on him and told him to leave. And so Bevington didn't have any means of transportation, so he started walking. And as he was walking, a a snow blizzard comes up on him. And uh, remember now, he's been... Fasting and praying for this service. He he, he is constantly fasting and praying. And this snowstorm comes up on him. So he he looks around and he sees an open field, a farm field. And there were haystacks. And so he goes over to the haystack and he burrows back into one and uh, gets in there. And he takes his luggage and puts it at, at the end of it as a pillow. And he lays down in there figuring he'd try that. I'll do the snowstorm that was going on. When he laid down, he said this. Well, praise God. I don't reckon Jesus had it much better than this. And probably most of the time, not nearly as good. (laughs) He said when he said that. uh, He said the haystack lit up. And then he said, it looked like crystallized straw forming this beautiful network. And he feared that he had caught the haystack on fire because he had some matches in his pocket. And he reached up to fill the straw and it was wet and cold. He spoke of a dazzling going on in his soul. He said it was a foretaste of heaven. He said it lasted a short time. But waves of glory came over me again and again. Bevington got out of the haystack, went back to the church, made his way into it. And revival hit that church and the pastor was eventually filled with the spirit. Now listen to what he says. There's no doubt that God would give us wonderful revelations if he could get us in a condition To receive them. Now, I hate to use dramatic illustrations like that because everybody starts going, trying to find a haystack and fasting and figuring it'll light up. But the reason I like dramatic illustrations is because it's, it's like looking at an experience under a magnifying glass. And I think what Bevington is saying to us, if we would give ourselves... More and more to Jesus. Give ourselves to him. Through these disciplines. And particularly through the the, the fasting discipline. Uh, these means of grace. These means of capturing the grace of God. Uh, we can capture, as I mentioned, we can capture winds of his grace. Gusts of his grace. Breezes of his grace. And storms of his grace and And I'm convinced that that's what we're hungering for is what even Steve was praying as we were praying before the message that we would see here in vintage a great storm of his grace that would come upon us and for that reason it may be uh and I talked to Steve about this, I was thinking about uh, maybe. Calling us to a fast at the end of this message, but with the pizza party, I feel like well, that maybe not the time. But uh, but I, I do think at some point maybe we we are called to a fast, and we, I, Steve and I agreed on this that at some point maybe next month. And uh, and and when we're when you're called to a fast. You seek the Lord on how long you need to fast and what it looks like. And we can explain all that to you when we're called to it. But I I would love to see us fasting uh, and asking the Lord, Lord, we want a greater expression of your presence, a greater experience of your love in our life. Of the of the glory of who you are in our life as a church and as individuals, because this is the great fullness of our salvation, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to put that together for us in the coming days. And again, we'll ex- kind of help walk you through what that would look like in terms of uh, giving yourself to a fast. Uh, I want to pray, and and I, I, I suppose the invitation today is simply that, it's not so much to, to fast right now. We'll, we'll present that later on. But just a, maybe the invitation is what Paul said. I want to know him. I want to know him more in my life and in this church. And if that's your heart, then I want you to come before the Lord and say, Lord, lead me in how I can enter in to a fuller expression of you for this season. So let's stand and pray, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up. And if you want to come and pray down here, you can. uh, Or receive communion. And remember, communion is a great means of grace. Enter it in faith, believing that Jesus will meet you in these elements that represent his body and his blood. And, uh, and maybe there you want to make a commitment to him. Jesus, I want to know you more. As I even partake of these elements that represent your physical presence on earth. I, I want to know you through the spirit. Uh, and uh, while you're in heaven. Jesus, we love you. And we're grateful for your presence. We're grateful, Lord, that when you left this earth physically, you didn't leave us. But you've sent the Holy Spirit to put within us, to join yourself to us in this incredible union that we have in you. And we thank you. You've not only done it for us, but as a, a group of believers Who have experienced that You do it for the church And Lord that's our heart That we may know you more And so Lord I I pray that Even today as we have Been looking at these disciplines that, That we would give Ourselves more fully To laboring to raise These cells That we might capture the wind Of your presence That is available to us We love you, Jesus. We honor you. And we pray that you guide us in these days to a greater expression of our love and a greater expression and manifestation of your love in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name.